Okay, ready? Take what you know and it's about a time when you get yourself in we are. I want to know something she's I think about everyone you need. I'm holding it. Things are rooting real now. I have you seen you wanting you. Hey. The tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. Tell me your songwriting process. Bits and pieces. I never push myself with music. I start small. I collect little slices of music. It could be a sounds. Yes. It could be a sound, a riff, a melody. And I just literally record it into my phone or track it on my computer. And I just write a date beside it of when I did it. And then I will go back and I'll be like, okay, everything that I worked on within this time period, we'll say like May 15th to July 15th. I'm going to pick a date in the future to just revisit that select group of ideas. Mm. And I just do that on a rolling basis all the time. And so then I'm just like coming back to things I already like, and then I might build it a little bit more and I put it down and move on. So like a lot of the music that is on this record, it could have been stuff that I created in an ideation phase two or three years ago, but didn't know how to finish or wasn't good enough to. And then like now I have like the tools to do it and I land it then. But yeah. Barty Strange is one of the most important names in modern rock and roll. He's got a new album out called Farm to Table. He is a brilliant musician, and it is an honor to talk to him about music and making this record. Let's get into it. It's Barty Strange on Torre Show. So the next album, Farm to Table. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, Farm to Table, um, it's a record that I made kind of over the pandemic. As soon as Live Forever came out, my first record, I was kind of afraid how people would receive it. And I wasn't sure what to do about that. And so I just started recording again. Like, I got the band up to Maine. We started pre-producing this record. Why Maine? i never been. And I wanted to go somewhere far away. I wanted Quiet. To, I wanted to get away from my house and, you know, from everything. From people. Yeah, and just influences. be with my creative homies, just work on something new. Tell you know? me, like, influences, songwriting process, how, like, where you see your growth in this album versus where you were earlier. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like I just got better at everything. I mean, I kind of taught myself how to make music and how to record and produce and engineer my music. Um, you know, Jesse Cannon, a person who was in this building right now, is actually a pretty foundational element of that. Wow. Um, like with Live Forever, I tracked that record in probably 10, 11 days upstate New York in a barn with some friends. We just brought all of our gear made up that there. album in 11 days? Yeah. We just, so how long did Farm to Table take? Like two or three, like two week sessions, basically. Okay. Um, I pre-produce a lot though. So, you know, before I start recording a record with a band, I, I've fleshed it out. 
you know this does the speed of it give you a sense of momentum yes. and like we're in the flow and first thought best thought and we're just yes. we're not overthinking it that's how i make records um um if you talk to a lot of recording engineers or producers they have different ways of doing it a lot of people like to record everything dry and out effects later you know but i'm the kind of person that like i want to catch all the sauce on the way in like i don't do a lot of drum programming inside the computer like if you hear a drum machine i'm playing the drum machine if you hear a guitar with a big reverb like we're tracking that going into the session are you recording sense. live like the band is performing all at once so on a couple songs on the record it's all extremely live um you know hold the line hennessy those two songs are just like vibes we caught in the room um, and and not that and like a small number of takes yeah two or three two or three yeah and we catch the best one best one's the one we print and, and talk to me about some of the influences that are shaping this record either sonic or political or just within your life because surely sure. you're 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 you know there must be a mood board in your mind yeah of, of where you want to go i mean this record to me is kind of about transitions okay you know um after live forever came out my life changed pretty quickly you know even though i put that record out in the middle of the pandemic so many things changed you know i quit my full-time job started doing music full-time you know i you all, were, you were the, working with obama well, at that time, I was working in the climate movement. Um, okay. I was doing climate work as a communicator for a bunch of big climate organizations and environmental justice groups. And you uh, left that to focus on music full time. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Deep. It was a trip. Are you making, I still want to hear more about the influences. Are yeah, you sure. making the same amount of money now than when you had the steady job in communication? I make more now. Make more now? Which is absolutely insane. Is your, is so, so when you, I'm not asking you for a specific number, but, but there's shows and there's the release of music, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously merch is another stream, but that's probably a smaller stream. Yeah. But like, is performing the number one revenue stream and then the sales of the actual music itself? It's kind of like a combination of the performing royal. It's, it's really like making all of these revenue streams yeah. like hit at the right time. Yeah. Right. So you have like a publishing deal, you get an advance and you get paid quarterly from that. Yeah. You know, off my first record, you know, no one knew who I was. So I didn't really have much to pay back on that record. So as soon as that one recouped, which was pretty quick, I'd start getting paid from that shows new record deal advances for all, you know, so it's just I like, I don't think I've ever heard an artist say they recouped on an album. <laughs> they right they usually like that's real like, like that's so real keep yeah. you locked in and you're like well you know yeah we sold a million records but i owe them five hundred thousand dollars and i don't even know how that happened yo i mean that's so real but i feel like biggest thing with being an art what i've learned is it's like you can't go up beyond your means in a way with your deals so like, smart like you know if you're I mean, if you sign like a major record deal to a major label and no one knows who you are, like that label is going to get the best of you on the deal. You're going to be paying them back for a long time. But like my first record I put out with like my friends, you know, it was like I had no business being on a big label at that point, you know? So Will Yip, he runs a label out of um, Philly. Great guy. Put out my record. Record did well. We all did well, you know, because we didn't spend a lot of money. To, you know, so uh, let's go back to the the influences yeah. that shape this album. Part of it is your feeling about your life. 
Yeah. And it's kind of just like marking the transition that was occurring. I mean, I called it farm to table because I grew up in a pretty rural area. Like I used to like literally work on farms. Nebraska. No, in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. And, you know, my family, they're all Southern black people, tobacco farmers, sharecroppers, you know, since forever, you know. And farm to table is very modern. Yeah. Concept, eat local, eat fresh. Right. But the table part represents kind of how my life has changed. Like all the people I've looked up to and wanted to be around, I'm like touring with them now and getting in studios with them and on the same labels as them and in the same articles as them. And it's kind of recognizing the transition of being this rural country, like black kid from rural country, black people to like, now I'm like at the table and I've got some options and I'm able to, you are going farm to table. Yeah. So, and that's the transition. It's like started from the bottom now we hear. Is that's what it means to me, you know? Are, so. Is the music also farm to table in the way that we think of farm to table food? Mm, no, not mm. no. I wouldn't think so in okay. the way of that. But there's very rustic elements and extremely produced elements, um, and that's kind of also a way that I'm kind of recognizing this transition. I'm using this idea of a rural rustic life and this more fancy, you know, more higher access life to show you the full breadth of the sounds that I like to make. So some things are very live and very like caught in the room and other things are very like thought out deep productions that sound like something you'd hear on the radio or whatever. Do you think of yourself as a rock musician? I think of myself as like an Americana musician. Okay. When I think of Americana, I think of country. When I think, when I think of Americana, I think of American music, like things that have just happened over the course of American culture. But American music is everything. I agree. But from like a the, black the blues, perspective. the rock, disco, I mean, everything. Exactly. All jazz, all these sounds came out of here. I agree. And that's kind of like what I do. Like I, everything. I blend. Like I, I like to make things work together. I hear things and I think, oh, that sounds a lot like this. Marry them, you know? And that's kind of how I've I fell mean, in love with music. Genres are what labels put on it so fans kind of know if I liked X, I might like Y. Right. Artists never think about genre. I know. But but still, the artists don't think about genre, but they do create boundaries for themselves. Mm. You know, I do know artists who will make great rock music and they won't put it out because they only put out country records and they don't want to alienate their bass or their but rappers, some, but they but, love but like pop music. Artists will have what is virtually a country song or a blues song on an album that's otherwise rock or hip hop or, totally, you know, totally. a souls that that's a soul song, but you're only thought of as an X artist, yeah. you know? So, I mean, so, and, and, and you would look at yourself that way. Interesting. I mean, I kind of just look at myself as someone who likes to synthesize, you know, I like to make everything and I'm very interested in how it's all made. Um, I remember growing up, I, I grew up in church, basically. So What kind of church? Um, Baptist church, Southern Baptist church. But my mom. Black, loud. Extremely. Yeah. yeah music. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, I remember just wanting to listen to the radio so bad, but my parents wouldn't let me listen to secular music when I was a kid. Interesting. And so all of my music I was listening to was like gospel and records that my dad had. So it was like Funkadelic, Parliament, Teddy Pendergrass, all that gospel. Yeah. And then I started getting cars with friends when they started driving and met like TV on the radio and Bon Iver and bad brains and, you know, at the drive-in and the national and block party. And, you know, that kind of like was 
huge to me because I remember hearing like emo bands like American football and thinking, oh my God, like these guitars sound just like Waylon Jennings guitars, like big Telecasters, country riffs, like it's the same mode. And I, I was just in love with those connections. And that's I mean, kind of what I do now. sets you up on that road. Big time. I mean, P-Funk, they did everything. Yeah. Like from yeah. like, can you get to that? To oh like my God. Bridezilla, you know, to like Brides of Frankenstein, Frankenstein yeah. to Junie Morrison and the, Super Spirit. The early like, 70s stuff is just straight hard rock. It's, it's the greatest rock band that ever existed, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Foundational. Like you don't get Led Zeppelin riffs without Eddie Hazel. Sure. Like, that's sure. like cashmere. And, like, they, like, and they would like, put yeah. black revolutionary messages in the music, yes. but not in some overt way where some people might feel like left out, you know, or excommunicated, mm-hmm. but just like, you know, we're just slipping this stuff in here. And it was so well-timed with what was culturally happening in terms of just like futurism and going to outer space and, and kills black it. folks not being from here, being from like other planets, you know, Trap Amador. I was in a town called Keep Running, Mississippi. I'm like, that is like the greatest line ever. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> or the line like, I once had a life or rather life, life had, had me. me. <laughs> I was one among many, or at least I was said to be or spent supposed to be. A lot of people this is beautiful of the national to death. And obviously you made a record off of what they did. Why do you love the national so much? Oh my God. So many reasons. The biggest reason though, and why they inspired me from when I was really young was because when you want to be a musician or an artist or a writer or a painter, everyone tells you all of the hard parts about it. They're like, Oh, if you're going to be a musician, like it's going to be hard for you to get married because you're going to be traveling all the time. You won't make money. You're never going to have a job. You're just going to be a kid for, you know, it's like there's all these negatives. Right. But with the national, like, they built this band and they stuck to their guns over the course of like decades and built a fan base, one fan at a time. They've got like fruitful relationships. They got money. They tour whenever they want. Aaron Desner has become one of the most successful producers in music. And they did it all from just doing the thing they want to do, you know, and going with their gut. Then I saw that and was really inspired in my like as a late teenager all the way through my twenties. Cause I was working day jobs like they were, you know, like, so more yeah. of these sort of secondary things than, because, I mean, the sound is incredible. That's the second reason. But the, the first reason is just like how they built this career over decades. And it's something that I want for myself and something that I always wanted for black people in this genre of music, you know. And that's kind of why I did that covers EP, because I was like, what if there was a black band like The National? We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. 
And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Your life you have made a very conscious decision to be all about music because you had jobs, jobby jobs yeah. until a few years ago. Yeah. But you, you were working in music, but now you've made this full commitment to it. And obviously it's working out, but like, why do you make music? Why do you need to make music? That's a good question. Yo, when I was in college, I was like the kind of guy Where? that like at university of Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, Sooners. I, yes. Yeah. Yes. Boomer. Um, that's, you know, song on the first record actually. Um, but I like, I remember moving to DC out of college. I was one of those guys that interned at like 12 places. I was in NABJ, like hardcore. I was like the go getter, super gunner, sold all my music equipment, moved to DC, wanted to be Remy from house of cards. You know, <laughs> I wanted to be like Mahershal <laughs> Ali on the hill, lobbying boom boom and i advanced in that world quickly and was able to do some cool things but i hated myself i got to a point i was working for obama at the fcc i was one of the press secretaries there doing net neutrality work sopa pippa all that stuff and i was just i hated myself i i I couldn't get behind it even though the work was good it it just wasn't fulfilling to me and uh, i knew i needed to play more music and so i moved to new york and just joined bands and uh bought a couple guitars and just after work, I'd go to band practice, and that made me happier, frankly. You know, it just made my life easier to live making things. Is is the moment of creation, like, your favorite moment of life? My favorite moments in life is when I'm making something new. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I you're making, making music. something Did, new. Do you prefer being on stage performing it or being alone or in the studio creating it? Dang. I, I kind of love being alone, making it. That's when the music is mine. When I put it out, it's not mine anymore. 
Right. It belongs to us. Everyone else's. Can you play like everything? Can you like make a record by yourself without anybody's help? Yeah, most. Well, I can, but I choose not to. <laughs> but, but you but, play guitar. Yeah. Play keyboards. Keys, yeah. Drums. Drums. Yeah. Percussion. Yeah. And when I'm, you know, demoing out the music and pre-proing it, I'm, I'm playing everything most of the time. And then when I start really tracking the record, I start picking friends and being like, I'm playing the drums, but like. You really play the drums. You can do it so a little better than me. Play it, and I may cut mine and yours into one thing. It's a lot of that, like building composites out of. Because being tapes. able to produce is a whole other skill yeah. that you can do. Yeah. That's kind of my love. Is producing. The production and putting my soul into building the world, you know, that the music lives in. I love that. I mean, the producer really is creating a world i think for rock i mean like yeah there's a rick rubin there's some others but like it's really like the creators are the stars but in hip-hop the producers are just as much stars and they create worlds and Mm -hmm. you know if you really love hip-hop you know like that's the pharrell world that's similar that's metro boom and whoever like their world creation which you know like other artists can jump in to a rizza song Mm -hmm. but we all that's you know you're in rizza world now Um, and that that's but so that's part of what you are able to do yeah for my records and for people that pay me to work on their records yeah i mean the producers will sprinkle in tiny little things little nuggets that that uh, an average listener will not hear Mm -hmm. but will make a difference even though we don't realize we're hearing it yeah um it's uh it it can get pretty deep you know great producers are special and uh I hope I am one one day. <laughs> I, I, I realized the depth of the relationship the fan has to the producer. When Kanye did that album where he kept changing it after it came out. Um, the Life of Pablo? Yes. Yeah. And there were definitely songs that changed a little bit where I liked them more. And there were songs that changed a little bit, just a little bit. And I'm like, now I like this song less. Yeah. And there's just, it's the tiniest decisions that can make the difference between people loving it or certain people loving it and certain people like, no, I don't like it. Also, dog, it's like, you never even know what's real. You hit a point where you're just like, as a producer, you can see like 10 possible outcomes, you know? Mm. And you're just like, you can only put something out first once, you know? And sometimes it can become like a little bit of a head trip. You're like, which version's the best? There is no best. Will anyone hear this edit? No, but it's an important, maybe. I think the cool thing about the life of Pablo and that entire process is it kind of lets listeners into that side of the producer's mind of like, I don't really know which one's the best. <laughs> you know, just chasing we, a vibe. Tell me about the next record after Farm to Table. Oh, it's it's so good. <laughs> I love that you feel that way. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm in, I'm in love with it. I'm in love with Farm to Table too. I, I'm proud of myself. I hear those records and I'm just like, dang, B, you get, you're getting good. Yeah, you're getting good. Yeah. Next one's kind of, it's kind of scary. Good. What, what's, what's so <laughs> scary good about the next one? Oh, it's like. I think I just hit a wave. I hit, I found something. I found like, I felt like with live forever, I was like figuring out some stuff, got some sounds, 
getting better at engineering. I can record the song. I can do it myself. Great. Farm to table is like, oh, cool. Like I've learned a lot and I can make things sound very good now. Now my production has gotten better and my songwriting is a lot more clear. And on the next one, it's like just maximalism. It's just like, building this world that I think I'll be living in for the next handful of records. Interesting. Interesting. Quite defined. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for people to continue getting better as they go along. Cause like, you know, they talk about like the first album is like, you know, all these ideas you've been building for years. Mm. And then you have what a year, maybe two, to come up with another one well you're probably touring mm-hmm. might be hard some people to come up with new ideas while you're touring yeah you know the, the part of that is go the, you know adjusting to the world to so sophomore slump whatever um and then the third record like you, you want like there's there's fans who want you but you also want to grow and how do you mix those two desires of, you know, this, this is my brand. This is who I am. And yet we're going to grow the brand. So it's not like we're doing the same thing every time. Yeah. And it's, it's tricky, but you're, I love that you're like, no, I am growing in the way I want to. And this is like moving forward and like, yeah. And I think like, yeah, I'm, I'm confident. I'm a little older now than when I first started putting out records. It's funny you say the thing about like the first record is like a culmination of all these records you made before when, for me, I, I don't, I don't know. The first record never felt like the first record to me because I'd mean? made so many records mm. in so many bands. Like I've been in playing bands since I was 16 years old. Like I got records on records on records. I've been writing songs forever and ever. When live forever kind of popped, I was like, Oh wow. One of them worked. Fantastic. <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, that's like my ninth album, you know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, and people are like, what are you going to do? You know, with this next one? I'm like, I'm just going to keep writing, you know, like I always do. Tell me your songwriting process. Bits and pieces. I never push myself with music. I start small. I collect little slices of music. It could be a riff. Yes. It could be a sound, a riff, a melody. And I just literally record it into my phone or track it on my computer. And I just write a date beside it of when I did it. And then I will go back and I'll be like, okay, Everything that I worked on within this time period, we'll say like May 15th to July 15th, I'm going to pick a date in the future to just revisit that select group of ideas. Mm. And I just do that on a rolling basis all the time. And so then I'm just like coming back to things I already like, and then I might build it a little bit more and I put it down and move on. So like a lot of the music that is on this record, it could have been stuff that I created in an ideation phase two or three years ago but didn't know how to finish or wasn't good enough to. And then like now I have like the tools to do it and I land it then. But yeah. So, so, so it starts sonically, yeah. not lyrically. Never lyrically. Never. I um, No. So the lyrics are last for you? Lyrics, man, the lyrics can change up until the day I send the record in to be finalized. That's like, I have to build the world first. That's as a producer. I mean, that's how I think about music. It's like I'm reacting to the music. I'm I'm really telling my emotions and my stories through the arrangement. And my lyrics are the things that make it clear, you know? So that comes last Mm. for me. Verses last or chorus last? Hook first. 
So yeah. I'll write the chorus first. Yeah. Yeah. And I write from the hook. So, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. interesting. It's interesting because my, just as a listener, my, um, my orientation is, is hip hop and perhaps soul music, which is almost always lyric dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, especially hip hop is lyric dominated. We, we used to have occasional instrumentals on songs. We used to have breakdowns where the song would change, but right. outside, of, outside of like Travis Scott, like nobody would change the song in the middle of the song. Right. Um, Unless you're changing it into another song, right. which is what future and Drake do all the time. Right. They're just like, uh, that 45 seconds was great. Let's just do another song. It's, now it's, it's, right. it's, it doesn't seconds. seem to be like, like rock will like, the song will will organically morph and then maybe it'll go back or maybe it won't, right? We're just playing with tempo or something. Hip hop, we're like, we either do the song or, okay, we just had tired of that song. We just started a new song yeah. after 45 seconds. Or but whatever. I totally, I love that. It's yeah. so punk rock. It's very punk rock. Like it's so punk rock. And like, I, I love it so much. I think it's great. A great way to make music. Vibes only. Vibes. I mean, the there's back. definitely a way that hip hop, had that punk vibe of we'll do anything, counterculture, break the rules, and it has lost that. And I think punk still or indie still does that. Interesting. But hip hop is much generally much more formulaic sonically. I think it's more formulaic, but I feel like boundaries are being pushed way more in hip hop than they are in rock or indie rock music right now. Well, not in rock. Rock to me generally seems pretty staid, but indie will break rules. Yeah, but I feel like in hip hop, you think the only way to be rules? successful is to break a rule. The, the people I think as most Drake successful- is like the most successful. Like Nicki Minaj, these people are not breaking rules. But Drake is successful because he broke a big rule early in Which his career. Is what? Spilling his guts. See, corny. He, uh, I'm so down to go down this road. I will talk cash shit about drake i love to talk but, about the but, but, I mean, it's my spilling, favorite thing let's go his guts. yes let's go is he really spilling his guts <laughs> he's not but he tricked us all yes he yes <laughs> yes he tricked you know us what he, all. You know, he's, he's the greatest he, actor he, of all time 100 100 he seems to be like 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 uh, guys who don't get girls yes. think that that's how you right 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 he's right, like the right. first like oh <laughs> guys who really get girls are like he's fucking corny yes he's like okay what were those books that were like how to get you know like the youtube channels oh and all the books God. about the, getting the, girls the player shit yeah i'm yeah, like yeah. i feel like he was like the for you know he kind of i don't want to compare him to that but there there you're you're not wrong <laughs> you're not wrong sometimes i'm like i don't know man the nice guy thing like i'm a nice guy but why don't they call me back? Yeah. That's kind of the energy I get. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Which exactly. I'm like, ah, but you know, sometimes he's got bars and I will say his best shit is when he works with future. Yeah. Like anytime they're together on a song, I'm like, yeah, I'm Do going you, to the club. I'm getting COVID it tonight. It fucking kills me <laughs> when, when millennials are like, yeah, Drake is the best rapper of now of ever or whatever. He's in my top five. I'm like, you got, he's not in the top 50. If you can't name 10 rappers who are better than Drake, you have not listened to enough hip hop. I don't know what to say. I have so many thoughts about this. <laughs> ah, like I have what? so many thoughts about it because like, there's a part of me that's like, 
Yo, Drake is the corniest, most annoying yes. artist of all time. Yes. But until he does make in, hits that I like. But in the spirit of being like, okay, but there's some stuff happening here. Like, let me see what's going on. Let me get the microscope out. He's done some, he's got some good music. I mean, he's made a, for a, a person who says Drake is corny. There's a lot of hits that this, will come on. I'll be like, yo, that's my jam yes. right there. Like though. there was like hotline bling took my life. Like, I don't even Hotline know. Hotline Bling is the shit. I can't even remember where, who I was. I was a different person. <laughs> Me and my daughter when Hotline Bling broke out, out on Hotline Bling. Different person. We played it a thousand times. I was considering getting dread weaves. I was considering getting beard weaves. I was considering changing everything. There's so many times <laughs> when he f- jumps on somebody as a feature. And I'm like, yo, your verse was whack, but Drake's verse, I'm fucking with. Dude, Drake will pull up on a song and destroy, just ruin your life. <laughs> and it's just like, we just needed a feature. Like, and we just needed a feature. Now everyone's embarrassed. Like, Lil Wayne used to do that. Yeah. You get him uh, a feature on your joint, he'll destroy you. He'll eat you alive. And and he, there was a joint, I can't remember, he did the chorus. or something about clocks or something. And it was like, I don't want to listen to your verse. I just want to listen to his fucking oh my chorus. God. It was incredible. There was this... Uh, slightly off subject, but on subject. The I would love to see someone just do a deep dive on the Drake battle rap vibes. Drake, oh, Drake, well, and the, and before that, um, Meek Mill. Uh, and I, I'm like, I think it's it's not right. I thought that people overreacted when when Pusha T destroyed um, Drake. Yeah, like they're like, oh, you're bringing family into this. I'm like, I, I'm sensing a weird colorism thing here. Where <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, this is weird. I'm like, why I mean, does everyone care that? Pusha T just destroyed Drake. Overall, I think it's not right for rappers to battle Drake. It's akin to battling an R&B artist. Thank you. Right? I was he's, like, he's not, he's not that. I was he's like, not you're legitimizing him as a rapper by doing this. Well, the only thing that legitimizes him is sales, right? Like that, that makes him like eligible to be battled. But as far as music goes, why push it? Why were you even paying attention? Why are you even aware that Drake exists? Oh my You're god. a real MC. He's not a real MC. Don't be Oh my god. Him. Drake Drake makes people feel so emotional. People get up and very arms. emotional. I think that and I think you know Pusha T as a human being, you know, Drake, who knows? I could I could see myself being annoyed. <laughs> no, I got I got friends who love Drake to death. I got friends who hate Drake to death. We can fight about it anyway. Okay, so if there's somebody out there who wants to grow up to be like you uh-huh. as a musician, okay, what advice would you give them? Just make stuff. Like just do it. Make things. Make things no matter how big or how small. I think the most revolutionary act you can do as like a young person of color, as a black person specifically, is to make something that didn't exist before. You know, we've been told forever that our creations and our thoughts mean nothing. So when you make a new thing and you love it, it makes you feel good. That's like the biggest thing, you know, and I would encourage people to do that. And who knows, like over time it'll grow, you know, but I think it's first just starting small and starting with people, you know, a lot of people reach out to me and they're like, how do I get a million streams on a song? It's like, that's not even it. Like, I know people with billions of streams and no fans, you know, it's like it starts one fan at a time and just like starting small and doing things you actually like. But within what you're saying is don't be afraid to fail. You are going to fail. Yeah. Just do it all the time. Yeah. And that's okay. And you'll kind of fall in love with that too. With failing. Yeah. Cause you'll do it and you'll be like, oh man, I've been here before. Cool. I'll just keep making stuff. You know, you get so used to it that you're like, oh yeah, failure, whatever. Like I was playing in bands that no one knows about or will ever know about. Forever. I was doing it because I love playing in bands. Didn't care. I don't care. If we go platinum or whatever. Like, not, no. I enjoyed this. Yeah. What does eating healthy mean to you? 
Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, See, if you inherently enjoy it, then you'll love working through the, let's call it the apprentice process where you're learning. Yeah. And I, through that, you know, decade, you know, 15 years of just making music in my basement, you know, and learning how to compress, learning how to track, learning how to engineer, and then all of a sudden your ideas and your talents like hit and then you make this thing that is bigger than you, you know, it's beautiful. Somebody I saw said, if I told you that you were 50 no's away from your dream, whatever your dream is, if you keep doing it and you get 50 no's, by the time you get to the 51st, someone will be like, yes. Yeah. You have, you would fucking run out the door to get all those no's so you get to the 51st one. Yes. And that's like, allow yourself to go through the bullshit and fail and fail and yeah. fail so you can learn and learn and learn. Totally. And I think age is a thing too. Or like, I remember being 26 sitting at my desk job watching Moses Sumney sing on TV and just being like, mm. I'm never going to get, like, how do you get here? You know, it's impossible. You know, or like watching Serpent with Feet after Four Ethers came out and just being like, oh, my God, how do you get there? You know, but it's like you can learn to play the guitar. You can learn to play the keyboards. Singing is different. Is there not a God given? I mean, you can learn certain techniques, but there is a God given aspect, right? Like certain people can sing and certain people you can you will never learn that. I mean, look. I feel like in rock music, there's a lot of people who cannot sing, but that's not that's secondary to the, to so many other things. It's vibes. Like, can you build a world? Can you like express things clearly? Can you connect with people? It goes a little bit beyond talent. My favorite guitar players can't play guitar. Some of my favorite singers aren't great singers. You know, it's, it's a collective thing. You know, you, you build something with what you got. That's what music is. That's interesting that if you can make people feel and sometimes being under talented, quote unquote, 
will allow you or force you to make people feel more than this hyper-talented folks. Totally. You know, I mean, yeah, you don't have to be like, a, you don't need like an extremely beautiful voice to play in the best punk rock band in Brooklyn. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like at all, you know. You talk about you know, beautiful you know, voices. I'm sure your mom, who yeah. was an opera singer, has an amazing voice. Yeah. What has she taught you about singing and music? Oh, my goodness. Well, everything about singing. What's um, her name? Donna Cox. Dr. Donna Mitchell Cox. Wait, Donna, doctor of what? Um, Voice. Yeah. She amazing. went to um, Peabody, or not Peabody, she went to Eastman School of Music in Rochester and then Columbia. So a PhD. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. In vocal pedagogy, she can tell you everything about your whole throat, voice, all of it. She trains singers all over the world. So um, what did she teach you about singing? Um, the biggest thing my mom taught me about singing was she would be like, how does it feel in your body when it's feeling right? Like when you're singing and you're sounding good, feel how you're feeling. How's your stomach feeling? How's your breath feeling? How's your throat feel? How your ears feel? How, feel your whole face. Is it loose? Are you relaxed? Things like that. Um, because, you know, ultimately that's what's going to keep you healthy and singing in the right way over time. You never want to be in pain when you're singing. And my mom was like, you know, pretty honored about that with us. You want to be in pain with your, when you're, I saw a vocal coach talking about when Stevie Wonder sings, you can see he's in a smile. Yeah. So then it sounds like a smile and it kind of makes the listener a little more happy because somebody is smiling at you. Yeah. I believe that. I mean, there's so many little tricks um, for singing, you know. I remember, I mean, my first experiences singing were in church and something that my mom said that I believe to this day, the beautiful thing about black churches is, you know, when the spirit moves through the church, you know, the band is like, doom, 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 doom. someone sprints across the stage, you know, someone falls out screaming and you don't get there unless the choir and the praise team is really just like open and like, putting your entire self in the room and your entire self in the music. And like, I don't go to church anymore, but I do shows. And when I do shows, it's like with the band, I'm like, you got to be a hundred percent on stage, hundred percent in the room present. So the spirit can move through you. So you can be a channel. Um, so other people in the room can connect. And I feel like that's what I felt when I would go to hardcore shows when I was a kid. That's what I feel now. When I see turnstile play in Baltimore, I see the spirit move. It's just crazy. The, the Okay, wait. So let's talk about D.C. for a second. Yeah. Because every major area in America where there's a lot of black people, there is an amazing music history scene. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a hip-hop community. There's a soul music community, perhaps a funk music community. Mm -hmm. And to me, D.C. is the... Uh, uh, the excuse that proves the rule or the example that proves there's not right. I mean, like Marvin Gaye, one of the greatest singers of all time, bad brains, one of the greatest rock groups of all time. Mm -hmm. And after that, the list gets very thin. Yeah. Where is the great music history? I mean, there's tons of black people there. Mm -hmm. Where is the great music history out of D.C.? First of all, I know there's going to be a lot of people from D.C. that will watch this and will get so mad at me because I'm going to forget someone. I know. But I think that, like, D.C. does have those people. It's just a very different vibe. Like, D.C. is not like, first of all, in population, it's not as big as other big cities. And it's not like Chicago or L.A. or any of these other places. 
but like but San Francisco and Cincinnati have like incredibly important yeah. scenes, the whole the Oakland, the whole Bay. I mean, like you don't have to be, you know, I mean like New Orleans is one of the most important cities in American music history. Yeah. I think Boston has more black music stars I would need to check DC. that. I need to double check that. I mean, well, it might be tr- you might be right. Oh, just new edition alone. Yeah, no, you might be right. And Gangstar. You're right. I mean, I don't know. DC is a little underrated, but it's got its own thing. Like, you know, Beauty Pill is out of DC, like a hugely influential band to so many bands. Chad Clark, black mastering engineer who all those big Fugazi records, Chad Clark mastered all those records. Black dude from DC, you know, and a mentor to black artists coming out of DC, a mentor to me, you know, you and then you got have- like Chuck Brown. A lot of people don't know about Chuck Brown, but his impact on music is like generate multi-generational. I mean, it's, it's crazy what he's done. And Wale's from DC, you know, there's some people, Wale, 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 Turnstile, Barty Strange, <laughs> Wale. Wale. four times um, in a row. I know. mean, like for DC to not Is have, Ari Lennox from DC? To not have like a major hip hop scene and a made like several major re- I mean like every major city New York LA yeah. Chicago Detroit the bay you know like they have a significant Philadelphia Newark have significant yeah. hip hop scenes and DC has too many black people and too much of a crime underworld to not have created a major hip hop scene. I'm like, you guys should have like five major rap, at least five major rappers. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I don't know. So what happened? I don't know what happened. I just live in DC. I do. I, I will tell you though, it. like the music, the infrastructure in DC is very different. Like it's not a huge musical infrastructure town. A lot of the best artists in DC move. Most of them moved to LA. A lot of them moved to New York. That's just kind of how it is. Same thing for Baltimore. I mean, JPEG Mafia. Like, you I mean there's some freakish baby mother. I mean, there's some monster rappers and rock bands that come out of Baltimore and they just slide. Like they slide straight to LA, straight to Chicago, straight to New York. Because historically, artists in DC, you're just kind of underserved. It doesn't really work out for them there, and there's not a lot of infrastructure. When you were in the world of football, yeah, and you had a D1 scholarship. I had some opportunities, yeah. Mm-hmm. To where? Um, I could have gone to like Texas Tech and played Texas A and M, Oklahoma State. What was your position? Um, I played receiver um, and returned kicks and played free safety in you high were school. A wide receiver, but in college I was recruited as like an athlete, just as like someone to return kicks and probably play corner or free safety once I got now, bigger. Fuck it. returning kicks, yeah, takes a lot of fearlessness. Yeah. It is one of the hardest. I mean, it's underrated. The ball is way up in the air. And you're like this. And there's all these people running at you. And, and just, it would be natural to like look at like. And you can't. And you can't. You got to make sure you catch the ball, which has been kicked to you really hard. It uh-huh. could bounce off your chest and then you're embarrassed in front of everyone. And everyone knows you messed up. And as soon as you catch it, there's all these people who are trying to take your head off. And you can hear them getting closer. The, the stampede approaching it's like you got to be ice like just ready it's hard yeah it's a hard job it's a tough gig but it was it's a lot of fun also but it's also how i like messed my knees up pretty bad but what it is. At the, but, <laughs> but you were playing at a pretty high level if you could have yeah. played at these some of these d1 southern d1 schools yeah i went to a small college in kansas emporia state and played football there for like i quit like i was just like no nah. Yeah, because your football experience was marred basically by racism. Yeah. Right? Like the feeling of like we, we're we just kind of 
chattel here for the program, oh, right? Oh, dude. I mean, it's disgusting. I can't even watch it anymore. You can't watch the game anymore? No. Why? It's you too can't watch much. the college game or the pro game? Both. It's too hard. Why? I just, I, I'll never forget being in college and meeting a lot of the guys on the team and you start to recognize really quickly, like a lot of these guys are like from poor backgrounds. Yeah. A lot of them, you know, have kids already. Wow. There were kids on my football team that couldn't read, wow. you know, and it's just like this system that's just passing black people through. You say yes to them all the time. You you train these people to that can't really function in society in a way. And then after they get hurt or the scholarship runs out, you just turn them loose. And then they do something crazy and you're like, what's wrong with these Negroes? And it's like, well, you, you're literally, this is like Mandingo fighting. Like this is, we've seen this. This shit is like, what is your superpower? What is the thing that you do better than other people that has led to your success? Hmm. Maybe it's corny, but I really am like an extremely hard worker. I'm not the best musician or singer or guitar player or anything, but I will definitely stay up late and learn everything I can about production or engineering and like perfect it. Um, that's what I do very well is I'm down to get into the dirty part of it and really learn how things work and make it my own. It's just so many black people, you know, you look at it, it's just all these black people, you know, black boys just getting messed up for a school or a high school program to get money. Like my high school football stadium was bigger than most D2 football stadiums. Does it you know? change? Does it change? The math of it all for you in the world of NIL deals where college players can monetize themselves and their career right away. I think I think that's good that they can, because at least you can like make some money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so they're no longer slaves yeah. anymore. Yeah, I agree, but I, I still think like, yo, when you're 20 years old, you're not thinking about yourself when you're 45 years old. Like, I, I think that like there was stuff I was doing when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 on the football field that if I knew I was going to feel like this in my knees, I don't know. I don't think I would have did it. You're in chronic pain now. Yeah. My knees are busted. Like it's rough. I have a doctor's appointment on Thursday to get them looked at again. Like I'm going to be dealing with that for the rest of my life. So just walking down the street is, is hard. Some days it is, especially if it's humid outside. Really? Yeah. And that stuff that happened to me when I was 14, both knees. Yeah. Did somebody hit you in the knees or just, oh, it was yeah. just degenerative? Like, a little bit of both. You know, you like tear a meniscus. It's never the same again, you know, but you keep playing on it because everyone's telling you that you're going to go to the NFL. And everyone's telling you, you thought that, you had a chance to go to the NFL. Oh man. They tell you all types of stuff when you're a kid. But did you think you had a chance? Yes, I did. Really? I was a very good athlete when I was in high school. Really? Very good. And I thought if I really wanted to do it, if I would have really gone for it, I might've had an opportunity to do something with it, but who knows, you know, my dad was an exceptional athlete too. And my brothers, my sister played college volleyball. What did your dad do? My dad, Barty senior, um, spectacular boxer, um, wow. boxing in the military, um, had an opportunity to possibly go to the Olympics. He was an Olympic development boxer. Wow. So he got to train with some great fighters. Wait, what is this? Know. What is this name? Barty's? Where's so, this from? I, you know, I was just talking to you about it. Um, I honestly, no one remembers. <laughs> so it's my dad's name. Right. My grandmother, Betty Foster, had my, she had my dad when she was 14. Wow. Um, 
and, uh, you know, eventually went on to become a nurse and stuff. But at the time, I think she just heard the name and just liked it and probably misspelled it. Dare I ask how old your grandfather was? Papa. I don't know how old he is now. How much older than her is he? He's probably four years older than her or three years older than her now. So he's probably 17. Okay. Something like that. Because, I mean, 14. Yeah. My dad had his first kid when he was 14, too. Really? Yeah. My oldest brother, Twan. Wait a minute. How old was your... How old was the... I have no idea. But I know that she was older. But <laughs> it was like... A, she, she was in high school, 14. for sure. Do you have kids? I don't have any kids. Are you, like, purposely trying to avoid that? I was. I was, thought I was going to. You know, in high school, I was like, I just got to get past. I got <laughs> I can't have any kids in high school. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was mortified of that. fuck your life up. Yeah, or not. You know, my parents did. My dad did okay. Yeah, yeah. but it changes. I mean, fuck your life up is pejorative. Yeah. It will change your life. Most certainly. And it changed his life. But it also, I think, might have been the best thing that ever happened to him because he, sure. he, then you get he figured some stuff out and that a lot of people in him, around him did not figure out. But your out. dad is brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. He's an engineer. Um, he actually works at FEMA on the floodplains. Blood oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Did he teach you program. anything about music? Yeah, man. So my mom, like, obviously is a singer, but all the, my dad had taste, though. Like, my dad collects music, like, and, and sound equipment. And he's an engineer, and he's always into th- how things work. So working on cars, working on engines, drawing maps. He used to, like, he was, like, a cartographer for the military. So wow. he's, he's very detail-oriented and collected a lot of music and had to organize very well and, I used to just scream through that music. Like it was all I, it was, I have a lot of those records to this day. I've been carrying them across the country since I was 18. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Listening to records in the garage, working so on cars. So they're yeah. thrilled at you being a professional musician. My parents are losing it. It's all my dad talks about at work. He freaking Aww. loves it. Like it's so sweet. My dad will like send me articles, you know. About you. Yeah. Cause he's like always looking, he like has little Google alerts for my name. You know, he was like, how do you do a Google alert? So I don't miss anything. You know, it's Beautiful. so cute. I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's cool. Cause they've always been so supportive. And you know, my mom, she was always like, every time stuff would go good professional, she'd be like, well, BJ, every, they call me BJ. They'd be like, B- oh, Junior. Junior. yeah. Okay. They'd be like, well, you know, don't, don't forget about your music. Like make time for it. Keep keep trying. Super supportive. So they were always and you know, when I played my first big festival at Outside Lands last year, they all flew out and it was very emotional. Wow. Very, very emotional stuff. Wow. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. It's nice yeah. to have the support of your family. I've definitely met musicians who are like, My parents do not understand what I'm doing. <laughs> my parents understand this way more than what I was doing previously. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That was so, I was like, my mom was like, so you write for the, what do you do? Because I was, you know, I was like flack, you know, PR flack. I I have explained to my mother what a podcast is so many times. And still, when I go home, she's like, so what is a podcast? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's different. So wait, before you said that when you were working in the world of politics, you hated yourself. And you were doing good shit in terms of working on climate change. Like you're fighting the good fight on important shit. Why were you like hating yourself? Well, it's admirable work and it's work that I believe in. I really believe 
in the power of organizing. I worked in the labor movement. I worked in the climate movement. I think it's very special work, but it can eat you alive, especially if you're from the communities that you're working on. I worked in these organizations and they were mostly like all white, you know, I'd be like one of a few black people actually working with environmental justice groups. And you start getting deeper and deeper in the work and understanding where the money's going and who's getting stuff and who isn't. And you do everything you can to help correct it, but it's so overwhelming. And I hit a point where I was so burnt out and kind of hopeless, you know, with that work. And I was like, there's got to be another way for me to contribute to this world without being this deep in it. Cause this is honestly too dark for me. Mm. It, it hurts mm. too much, you know? Yeah. So I had to find my way out of that just to protect my mind. Cause I felt like nobody cares as much as I did sometimes mm. cause they're white, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> their lives are different. You know, it's like these people I go and visit them. I'm like, these people, I know them, you know, like I know what their lives are like and y'all are like, yeah, no. So everyone, so everyone <laughs> who comes on the show, I ask them this. What does being black mean to you? Where does it show up in your work? What does being black mean to me? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Shit. What does being black mean to me? <laughs> I'm trying to like figure that out for myself. Sure. You know, like I'm on my own journey with blackness and, you know, my awakening to of that concept. I grew up in a very white rural town, you know? I remember when I moved to Brooklyn, it was the first time I lived with black people. Exciting. I was 24 years old. So exciting. First time living in an area where all black people. In I Crown could, Heights, you Yeah, said? in Crown Heights, um, my block, you know? And I just remember, I had to find myself all over again through that whole process, that six years, you know? How did that change you, like living around Immensely, a lot of black people? I never had more confidence in my life. It was mm. a reset. Cause I was so scared. I grew up with fear being like the motivating factor for all of my decisions in my life. And then I lived in a world here where I could be so free outside whenever I want, go anywhere I want and almost kind of like be able to stake more of a claim to it because of how I looked. It just like unlocked a whole new person. Like I was able to kind of actualize and be around artists that looked like me that understood what I was doing and didn't make me feel different, you know? And that was kind of like the cheat code for me. Once I realized that everything I was feeling wasn't like bullshit, like I felt like I had been gaslighting myself with what I was capable of because people didn't want me to achieve much where I was from. But once I was able to kind of like be around people that supported me and looked at me and were like, yeah, we get it. I was like, oh, I'm not crazy. Well, this is what I think. Like no, that's make the deep. record, you know, that's like, deep. but I had to like get there, you know, it took a long time. So how does blackness show up in my work? I look at all my music as, you know, revolutionary acts, you know, creating new things, things that didn't exist. I want more black kids from rural areas that think they're the only one to hear my music and feel like they can do it too. Deep. I definitely had a similar feeling in, uh, going to college and, and, and I went to Emory, mm-hmm. but then going over to the AUC and experiencing Morehouse Spellman, et cetera, that whole culture. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you feel liberated just being around mm-hmm. this community and especially Morehouse and Spellman, the uh, self-esteem yes. that all those folks have is so palpable. Mm-hmm. And you, you sort of start to suck it in and it's like, this is beautiful. Yeah. And you don't, 
it's like people asked me when I knew I wanted to make music, right? It was when I saw TV on the radio play on Letterman and I saw Tunde Adebempe play Wolf Like Me. And I remember seeing him and being like, that's what I want to do. And I had never seen it before. Black rock. Yeah. Like a person that looked like me. I saw Jimi Hendrix and saw the soul singers and Funkadelic, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know where I fit into it until I saw that. And the same thing with like the confidence and like the black community. It's like, you don't, if you grew up in like a rural neighborhood, rural place and you know, there's not a lot of black people around and you're just kind of trying to keep your head down and just get to the end of the road. Like you're not going to learn that like self-appreciation necessarily. You're just learning how to survive. But once you like get out here and you're around people who are like way beyond the point of survival, like they're just like thriving and doing their own thing, their own way. It, it changes how you see the world. No longer, you're no longer like, Oh, let me just find a good job at Sprint and just like survive. You're like, Oh, I want to make something new. Like I want to build something for all of us. And that's like kind of where I am. The last thing, what is your superpower? What is the thing that you do better than other people that has led to your success? Hmm. Maybe it's corny, but I really am like an extremely hard worker. I'm not the best musician or singer or guitar player or anything, but I will definitely stay up late and learn everything I can about production or engineering and like perfect it. Um, that's what I do very well because I'm down to get into the dirty part of it and really learn how things work and make it my own. Thanks so much to Bartiz for a great interview and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Ford. Our editors, Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. Shut us down.